Now, you need to understand that he says to proclaim liberty to the captives. Have you ever noticed that? Some people read that as just saying to preach, but uh, he's proclaiming. He's saying it. He is speaking. And when Jesus speaks, he creates. It's uh, That's the way that he creates. If you look in Genesis 1, he didn't even have to wave his hand. When he wanted light, he just spoke and he said, let there be light. So when he says, I came to speak freedom over people who were in bondage. He's saying, I came to create freedom. Now, some of you, when I say that a believer could be in bondage or be held captive by something, you're thinking, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Brother Joel. I don't have a problem with that. You don't have to convince me of that. In fact, you could just skip on down to the prayer part right now because I know I'm in bondage. And let's just pray about it and get her done. But there are some of you that this may not be something that you understand yet. Uh, there are a lot of people that think that uh, that once you're saved, you get the whole package at one time. And that's it. You just take your trip to the altar. You get your fire insurance and everything's cool till you die and go to heaven. But there's so much more. And as Methodists, we know this. And even if we do change denominations, we're still going to be Methodists. And if we know this, that uh, scripturally, we grow. Scripturally, we uh, wind up uh, moving on. In the Christian faith, we move on with the Lord. I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit, but, uh, some don't understand. They, uh, so I need to show you just a little bit of the fact, uh, that, uh, believers can be in bondage. In the eighth chapter of John, there's a passage which I believe that 99% of all believers have heard. It says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Have you heard that? Do you believe it? Nowadays, a lot of people are just like Pilate, aren't they? They What is truth? It's like they don't even know if there is such a thing. I mean, well, we're not going to go into all the tawdry details of that right now that we're facing in our society. The only problem is that we don't know that Jesus is speaking to believers in this passage. When he said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free, he's talking to people who are already believers. He said, you can know or come to know or grow in the truth more, and you can get freer and freer through a maturation process of growing in your faith in the Lord. Uh, the Christian life, you know, you're saved and you begin to walk with the Lord. But it reminds me kind of as you begin your walk of a guy that I heard about a lot. Well, this, this is a parable. It's not a true story. A guy who was walking along, just enjoying the day 
with huge heavy chains around his waist and a huge boulder on each shoulder and a big old watermelon stuck on top of his head. And he's just walking around just as happy as he could be. And somebody stops him and says, man, why are you carrying those big old boulders? Where are you taking those? I didn't even know I had those. And so he drops the two boulders and it's like he's so much lighter on his feet. It's so much more wonderful. And he's just walking along. And then somebody else stops him and says, man, what you got that watermelon on your head for? And he said, yeah, I didn't even realize that was up there. And he takes the watermelon off his head. And it's almost like he's going to float because he feels so much better. And he's just bouncing along there, enjoying a beautiful day. And then somebody asks him about the huge chains around his middle. He said, didn't even know those were there. And he unwraps the chains and he's set free. And he was bound by things. He was weighted down by things. He was oppressed by things in his life that he hadn't even noticed were there. And that's the Christian walk. That's the Christian walk. You start out with him, you're saved, and it's glorious, it's wonderful. But there's some things the Lord can't help you with until he has your attention. And so a process begins. Now, John Wesley uh, made a great contribution to our uh, uh, to, to theology. And, uh, and it was, and we call it spiritual growth. And, uh, he defines it by he taking grace. And you, it's all grace. Uh, just like, uh, ice cream. It's all ice cream. But there's different flavors of ice cream, right? There's different flavors of grace, different aspects of grace. You might say different facets of grace. It's all grace, but there are different aspects that you have to look at. And we go through these in our Christian life and in order. And the first one is prevenient grace. And that can be likened to the courtship between a young man and a young woman, where first of all, he tries to get her attention. And then after he's gotten her attention, he tries to gain her trust and, uh, and hopes that she's going to love him. And so that's like prevenient grace. He starts trying to get your attention before uh, you even start paying much attention to him at all. And then following prevenient grace, you come to justifying grace. And that is likened to the wedding. You get to the point to where you love each other and you want to spend the rest of your life together. And so... You have a formal joining and justifying grace is like that. Uh, you are washed and you're cleansed from your sins. You give yourself to him and he gives himself to you and you are, you're, you're saved. And a lot of people think it stops there. Now, if you got married and y'all both just left the altar and went on back to your own homes and lived your life the way it was before, that wouldn't really be a marriage, was it? And yet 
that's what so many people seem to think that uh, Christianity is. Oh, I got, I got saved. And then go back to living the thing. Don't, not living with the Lord. And so in justifying, whenever you're justified, you're washed, you're cleansed, you're made whole, you're given a brand new life and you want to live it in a love relationship with him. And so then you spend the rest of your life here on earth in what we're talking about this morning. And that is sanctifying grace, sanctifying grace. And that is where you are perfected in love. Uh, John Wesley called it moving on to perfection. That doesn't mean that you become uh, uh, so perfect that you don't ever make a mistake. It means that you become perfected in your love of God and your love of the people around you. And as you go through this, it's like you've heard me say just recently, what you're doing is you give as much of yourself as you know to as much of God as you understand. And you see, as you do that, God reveals truth to you. God shows you things that you couldn't even see before. Sharon and I have been married 56 years now, going on 57 now. Uh, we've been married a long time. We learn new things about each other just about every week to this day. And it's the same way with our relationship with the Lord. We learn new things about Him, and He shows us things about ourselves. Reminds me of this thing I saw this past week where uh, this guy said, you know, I, I asked, my wife asked me if I had any annoying, don't say how does it, my wife asked me if she had any annoying uh, traits. And then she got all mad during the slide presentation. <laughs> but, th- but this is just it. It's, uh, uh, there are things that we couldn't understand about ourselves that need changing when we first start walking with them. It would break our hearts. And so he breaks our hearts little by little as we see how far we have to go. And the further along we go, the more we realize we have so much further to go. And so that's spiritual growth. So uh, anyway, back to this, uh, the, the people getting offended in John 8, 34 says, uh, let me back up here. Well, I'm going to get up a little bit closer here. Uh, he told them, let's see, I'm, I'm going to, I've lost my place. Jesus said to Jews who believed, okay, this is a, a simple question. These Jewish people believe or did they not believe? It says they believed. So they believed, right? Jesus said to those who believed. So we're talking about believers. And uh, uh, he says, uh, and you, and uh, let me just say, you believers, you believers, you shall know the truth. You shall come to understand the truth more fully. And you'll see truth you haven't been able to see before. And the truth shall make you free. 
And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now then, they can't see the truth yet, can they? Now, we read that, we could just read right over that. But let's, let's not read over it this morning. Let me say it again slowly and see if you think this is kind of funny. He said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And they said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never, never been in bondage to anyone. Are they speaking the truth when they say that? They'd never been in bondage to anyone? If if you look through the Bible, you'll see they've been in bondage to the Grecians, to the Chaldeans, to the Babylonians, to the Assyrians. They were in bondage to the Egyptians big time and celebrated their being made free from the Egyptians. And now they're saying they were never been in bondage to anyone. They're missing something, aren't they? You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And they said, well, we're Abraham's descendants, never been in bondage to anyone. As I uh, read that, I remember the old counseling adage, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. (laughs) And these guys were in denial big time, weren't they? How do you think they got there? Feeding each other's fires? We're free. We're free. And they couldn't see the truth because they kept listening to each other. Now, we Christians, even though we know that we're in Christ, and even though we know him, we can still be in bondage. And it's crazy to say that because you've been saved from the penalty of sin by grace through faith, that you're, uh, and you're on your way to heaven, that now you're perfect or not held captive to something, something holding you in bondage. Now, so they said, and uh, Jesus wants to make it clear in verse 34, Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever, all right, so are you a whoever? Jesus said, whoever, does that include you? I want you to answer yes or no. Does that include you? Okay. Yes, it does. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. This doesn't mean that whoever falls or makes a mistake. Again, if you look at the root word, uh, you take the Greek. I just want you to uh, see in English, that means whoever commits sin. And a derivative of commits is committed. And so we get the word committed from the same word. Whoever is committed to sinning is continuing in sin. In the Greek, this means whoever practices or is committed to continuing uh, to in a sin. One great lexicon uh, says, whoever makes allowances to continue in that sin. There are a lot of people that have made allowances through rationalization. 
Well, God understands that I have this need. And so he's going to allow this, you know, and I've, I've heard people, uh, just try to explain away their blatant sin by rationalizing it or coming up with excuses for it instead of just admitting it. They're making allowances so they could continue in it. Now, you know, and I know that there have been some sins in our own lives that we've been making allowances to cover up and to say, uh, we're just, we just, we're just going to keep on. Uh, uh, this morning, what we're having is a holy come to Jesus time. When I, uh, well, I, I have been praying that you, as we were preaching today, would have some besetting sin come to your heart that the Holy Spirit is going to bring up in your life. Uh, some, something that you're stuck in, something that you've wrestled with, and something that still is holding you back, holding you in bondage. Being stuck in sin is called bondage. The good news is that he's come to set you free. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim it. He can create it. It's not something that you have to work out of. It's something he can set you free from creatively. This is a ministry of Jesus. Now, this thing about because I'm a Christian, I can't be in bondage is ludicrous. Um, I'm not going to have time to go through all the different examples I, I meant to go through this morning, but I just, well, I will go through this one. Here's an example. If two men drink too much alcohol and one's an unbeliever and one's a believer, and they drink too much and they both get drunk, even though one's an unbeliever and one's a believer. Well, uh, will the believer still get drunk? Yeah. Uh, but he's a believer. And now he's coming under the influence of alcohol, right? And so you see, it's ludicrous. If you drink too much and you're weaving all over the road, and you get pulled over for driving under the influence. They would call it DUI, driving under influence. If you get pulled over and the officer says, I think you've been driving under the influence. You just tell him, I can't be under the influence because I'm a Christian. You think that, uh, you think the policeman is going to believe you? I doubt it. So you're under the influence because you opened yourself up to something. Now, if a person starts looking at pornography on the Internet and uh, you don't think you're going to be affected by it, you're deceived. You're going to come under the influence. And uh, it's the same way if a guy drinks too much or a woman drinks too much. But let's just take a guy for a moment and he drinks too much. And when he does, he does something totally out of character. But he does it because he's under the influence. In the very same way, a man could start looking at pornography. And after a while, he will become under the influence and may do wind up doing something out of character that he wouldn't have done otherwise because he's left himself open to that influence. You need to know that. 
So one of the great contributions to of John Wesley, as I said earlier, is this whole idea of moving on to perfection, giving as much of yourself as you know to as much of God as you understand. And a part of that is coming to the place where you finally realize that what you're doing is sinful. It may be bitterness, just a habit of rancor and bitterness. It may be uh, uh, gossip. It can be all sorts of things that we c- can be just held in bondage to and get pulled back into. Uh, I'm going to share the story about the old African goldsmith here again, and I'm going to lift up a different part of it to you this morning. There was a, a man who was uh, a missionary in Africa, and he came across an old African goldsmith, and uh, he had a charcoal fire under a big tree, shade tree, and he'd pump up the fire, and he had a cauldron there that was filled with molten gold. He'd pump up the fire, the gold would 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 bubble, and then dross would form on the top, a scum would come to the top. He'd take his ladle and he would gently move all the dross over to where he could pick it all up and cast it off. And then he'd pump some more. As it got hot, more dross would come to the top. He'd skim it off, throw it away. And the uh, missionary asked him, said, what are you doing there? And the goldsmith said, I'm purifying this gold. And the man had no essay equipment no, no, nothing to, to judge it by. So he said, so now how are you going to know when this gold is pure? And he said, when I can see my image in it. And this is what the Lord does with us. He pumps up the fire. And as he does, the dross comes to the top. He doesn't pump up the fire to punish you. He pumps up the fire and causes you to become uncomfortable in this life because he loves you. And he knows there are things in your life that aren't good for you. And he wants to get them out. And so you may have be going through something right now. And uh, you may think it's because God doesn't like you for some reason. It's probably because he loves you very much. And he's pumped up the fire. He's caused you to be uncomfortable so that you can know the truth that that thing that you've been hanging to in your life that you know has been standing between you and him. He wants it out of there. So it makes you uncomfortable until you're willing to yield it up to him and he can scum it off, skim it off and cast it aside. Not because he doesn't love you, because he does love you. He chastens those he loves so that you can draw closer to him. He pumps up the heat so you'll yield up the impurities of your life, so you'll repent and come uh, to him. And so you don't keep going further and further down the wrong road. This is all through the Old Testament. We see Israel uh, sin and follow other gods. And so what did, uh, the Lord do? He pumped up the fire, didn't he? He pumped it and he pumped it. He'd take them into bondage, captivity, 
to another nation uh, so that they would cry to God and repent. And then they'd be set free. In other words, it's like disciplining a child for something because uh, you uh, don't want the child to keep on going down uh, that rebellious path because you love that child. Not because you don't like the child, but because you love them so much. Now, I know you understand what I'm saying. It's a loving father that says, I want you to see what sin's doing to you so you don't have to keep going down this road. Because if you're going to start looking at pornography, you're going to get in bondage to lust and eventually you're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your health and everything. And so I'm going to pump up the heat so that you'll say, I don't want to live like this anymore. But I'm telling you, what's great is that Jesus came to set captives free. That's what he came for. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Jesus came not just to save you for heaven. He came to set you free uh, on this earth from every sin that can bind you. You don't have to continue to live in bondage. You don't have to be controlled by something else or someone else. He wants you to be free from bondage and he has come so that you don't have to live in it anymore. Now then, this morning, I want us to do just like we did last week. I'm going to have us bow our heads and close our eyes, not just to see what's going on or so we can't see what's going on around us, but just so the Holy Spirit can speak to your hearts and you can know for sure what the dross is he's working on. What's that one thing? Get all, don't, you may want to start thinking, oh, there's this, this, you may have a long list. What's the one thing? He just works on one thing at a time, really. Just let that one thing come to the top so that you can be set free from it. So, uh, and I'm just going to ask you in your own way, in your heart, I'm going to lead you in prayer. And I want you to tell him, uh, Lord, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not going to be making any excuses anymore. This is sin. And I really recognize it's sin. Maybe I haven't admitted it, but I know it. And uh, I ask you to set me free today. Now, I'm not telling you that you're ever going to be tempted again. I'm not telling you that uh, you won't have to continue uh, to mature as a Christian. Uh, there's going to be another project after this one's over, but uh, it'll be easier once you get used to it. I'm not telling you that, but I'm telling you that uh, if there is some demonic bondage, some sin that's holding you, Jesus is going to set you free today. And so I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. I'm just going to give you an opportunity to pray and tell him that you need freedom. Tell him and then in the area of life that you need freedom. And then ask him to set you free. Let's just bow our heads and just do that right now.
And now, Lord, I want to agree with my brothers and sisters in prayer this morning. This is not a hard thing for you. Satan has to obey you. All through your ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see you cast demons out of people. You set daughters and sons of Abraham free. You set believers in bondage free. And so, Lord, I declare on the authority of your word today, freedom for my brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. And in the name of Jesus, I command every spirit of lust or pornography or adultery or sexual immorality to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of pride or anger or manipulation or control, I command you to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of insecurity and inferiority and fear and anxiety and worry, I command you to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of addiction, whether it's alcoholic addiction or drug addiction or food addiction or approval addiction, Every spirit of addiction, I command you to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and malice and envy and jealousy, I command you to go in Jesus' name. It's not by the authority of my voice. It's by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I declare deliverance over my brothers and my sisters by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and that we don't have to love our lives unto death, uh, that uh, we lay our lives down for the gospel. And I declare over my brothers and sisters this day, every demonic spirit that has held them in bondage, I command you to go in Jesus' name. And now I I ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, to just turn your palms upward toward the Lord God. And Lord, I ask you that every place that every evil spirit has left, I ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit now. Fill us with the power to walk as your disciples, as your followers on this earth. And Lord, we will tell you thanks. We will thank you and we will thank you that you came to proclaim liberty over the captives and we receive freedom today in Jesus name. Amen.